Hey guys, welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Buds Podcast. I'm Richie. Today is February 19th. We're filming on a Friday. I'm here today with Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? What's up, you guys? I'm doing good. Just did a little research on the guys that I'm feeling today, and I'm uh, feeling ready to rock. Okay. All right, today on tap, what we have for you guys is we're going to go over Matt's top 25 uh, projections as he has it right now. We're going to touch on the NL East and then we're going to talk a little bit about our preseason trading and kind of concepts and philosophies. But before we get started, I want to start with our icebreaker. Today's icebreaker is going to be what is your most memorable baseball stadium moment? So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and answer for the listeners? Oh, this is easy for me. Um, me and my old roommate, Matt, who are also kind of in the podcast world. Actually drove down to San Diego to watch the Brewers via the Padres, and we got pretty drunk down in the district, down by the stadium. So pretty hammered. We're watching the game. I'm I'm swearing by my teeth that the pitcher is Sean Chacon, and it was really Yolish Chassin for the Brewers just a few years back. Because I'm so drunk, I think that the, you know the 43 year old Sean Chacon is still pitching, and for whatever reason, he's changed his name to two different variations. So the entire section has gotten on board with this on me. We're having a big conversation. You know, it's all a lot of fun. Game goes into extra innings. So, you know, the hangover starts kicking in a little bit. We stop buying stadium beers, and we're kind of just sitting there, and we're like, well, it's the Brewers. We can't leave. Now, mind you, you had just flown into Vegas, I think, either that day or we're flying in the next day. So after that game, we were going to stay in the hotel, go back to Orange County. Then I was going to drive to Vegas. So that was kind of where I was at during that that time, uh, but what capped it off for me was Ryan Braun ended up hitting a, a home run in the top of the thirteenth or top of the twelfth, and it came just like whizzing past Matt and I's head. We would have been able to catch it, but it kind of went uh, to the porch as opposed to where we were, so we probably missed it by about ten feet. Definitely the most memorable experience. Uh, ended up going to Vegas the next day on no sleep, so it kind of plays into that. But it was a good time. What about you? Yeah. That's that's pretty memorable. Uh, for me, it's going well. There's two. It's hard. The, I think the the one that sticks out more in my mind is the 2011 regular season game. I was at the Milwaukee Brewers Miller Park uh, with some college buddies, and it, we just happened to get some cheap college discount tickets. Uh, in I want to say the, it's like in between third base and left field, so we were pretty close, like maybe 10, 15 rows. We ended up winning the game, the Brewers that is, and all we needed was the Cardinals to lose the game, and they started playing the, I think it was the Pirates, uh, hour later, so they were going into the eighth or ninth inning, so everybody stayed and watched on the big screen watching the Cardinals to make sure they lost, and as soon as they lost, fireworks went off, the players were running around the field with champagne and their goggles, and actually ran up to the, the edge. And as they were coming by, I got to slap Niger Morgan's hand. He was an outfielder at the time. And uh, it was just really memorable in my moment. Yeah, think about that when you really put into perspective, right? You need one of the worst teams in baseball over the past 20 years to beat the team that's rivaling you in the division. And somehow the Pirates pulled out this magnificent victory. There you go, Pittsburgh. Awesome, right? Yeah, I can't remember if, if we beat Pittsburgh. It, that Let's just roll foggy, with it. That sounds great. Either way, <laughs> either way, yeah. Pittsburgh winning for a title sounds good. All right, but uh, let's let's get started. Uh, we'll go right into your projections, Matt. So why don't you 
um, go ahead and talk about let's let's instead of just going through all 25 let's go with some of the ones that stick out that is different from other uh, industry leaders like the the big discrepancies in sure. your mind between the rankings sure and again I, I did my rankings just as a general um, kind of feel you know I looked up some of the guys that I'm doing I looked at previous year's numbers I looked at burial rates I looked at launch angles but at the end of the day, when I'm doing my rankings, I have this general feel for players that I've had for 10 years and not, not to be overly confident, but normally I'm right around the range. You know, we can, we can never prepare for injuries. We can never prepare for players to, to really take and maybe an age fall off. Um, but I think with how I did things, my numbers on the projections are pretty close. And then for other guys, I might, I might really be lowering the bar because of, uh, of certain biases. And I think that's also something we don't talk about in the industry is the fact that as each individual fantasy player, we do have biases and we have been burned by guys. But kicking that off, I think the first one that I want to start with, uh, and this is going to be for a head-to-head -head points league uh, auction-style draft. That's how all of these projections and these rankings are going to be listed, first and foremost. Shane Bieber's biggest surprise, uh, coming in at rank 15. Usually you're going to see him no, no lower than 8, maybe even 7 in some rankings. I have him at 15. I don't think with the Cleveland Indians being a lackluster offense, he's going to get wins this year. And I really think that's going to affect his overall uh, his overall points ranking. So I have him at 13 and 6, ERA just above 3, whip around 112, uh, going for about 192 innings. Best batter I have up there with Juan Soto comes in at number 2. I think that's no surprise. I think we see really the ascent of Juan Soto being, if not the best offensive player in the game, 1-2 with Acuna. Cooney's going to come in for me at three here. I have Tatis at seven, Yelich at eight. Next biggest surprise, I think, and Richie and I kind of talked about this. I'll bring you in for your opinion on this one, Richie. Uh, I have Aaron Nola at 17. Again, offense, I think, is going to struggle a very competitive division. I think he's going to get beat up in some games. I have him at 16 and seven. I think that's being kind. Uh, ERA around 3-3. Three, three. What are your thoughts on Aaron Nola this season? Um, yeah, I, de I definitely think he's uh, an innings eater and he can command the strike zone. My my concern with him is that when he gets behind in the counts, I feel he gets in his own head a little bit and that worries me a little bit. I, I think people are projecting him to perform at his ceiling, which is fair. He did perform at his ceiling last year, but... I think you're you're drafting him at his ceiling rather than some of these other guys where there could be upside. So I personally wouldn't put him in my top 25. I'd probably put him somewhere between 25, 35. I haven't gone through mine. So it's not terribly off with you having him at 17. There's just a few other players that I probably would rank higher. Yeah. But what but one of the things that I did notice that I personally disagree with is Mookie Betts you have at 14th. I, I think he should be higher. Um, Shane Bieber, I, I do think he's going to get a few less wins because of uh, Cleveland selling off some of their players. However, they do play the Tigers and the Royals who are also um, near the bottom. <laughs> you can be, you so can be he, honest, awful. He will get some wins. I think, I mean, he's going to be playing against the White Sox and the Twins more often than not. So those will be tougher challenges, but 
you never know. Even some of the, the lower teams can get wins over greater teams depending on who they have pitching, if they've got the number five guy or if they got their ace on the mound. So that all plays a factor depending on how the rotation shake out. Um, I, I do like that you have Garrett Cole number one. He is my he would be my consensus number one as well. I think I probably would have Bieber and DeGrom at least in my top ten, probably within my top nine, eight in that range. I do like Soto, Acuna, Trout, and Betts all in that top top range. I just think they're studs. They're almost guaranteed to hit right around three hundred almost guaranteed to hit at least 30 home runs for any of these guys and in the lineups that they're in like almost guaranteed for 100 runs and rbis and they all have some sort of speed that comes with them maybe not so much soto but um yeah i feel like those are almost can't misses at 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 the top of the draft so i yeah and i and i agree with you my rating my rankings are a little more um risky you know i i thought when i looked over frank samples rankings it's kind of who i took and started playing around with first um they're safe you know and and i and i enjoy fantasy baseball so much i like doing projections it's something i i do genuinely enjoy doing i wanted to take it out of the box a little bit this year and i have mookie bets at 14 because of a stat i saw during the trade with boston with how many home runs Fenway Park actually allowed Mookie Betts to, to gain based on what he would be doing going to Dodger Stadium. So I have Mookie Betts projected at 24 home runs this year. I have him projected hitting 308, 93 RBIs. I have him at 86 runs, and frankly, that's just too low. I'm going to have to adjust that. He's going to be playing in a very, very good lineup, and barring injury, he's going to get well over 100 runs. That has to be the expectation. But I, I get where you're coming with, with a top 10 performance for Mookie Betts. Um, I really, really heavily evaluated home runs, and I think because when I looked at Mookie's 24 home runs, I said, okay, you know, he's going to fall lower on the list than maybe he should have. But who's another guy that you saw in my top 25 that maybe brought questions to your mind, or maybe it's somebody I left out? Yeah, and we briefly touched on this before we started, but the one I want to talk about is Max Scherzer you do not have in your top 25 at all. And instead, I see you have... The last pitcher in your top 25 is Zach Gallen, ranked at number 22. So I was taking a look at it, and it appeared that, I mean, Max Scherzer also dealt with injuries in 2020, but it appeared he was unlucky compared to other um, years. I'm going off of fan graphs, pulling up right now. He had a 355 BABIP, which is the highest he's had in his whole career, um, you know, his strikeout rate was the normal around 12. His walk rate did get a little bit higher at 3.07, which is a little worrisome. But his <clears throat> FIP and XFIP suggest he should have played better. I mean, he had a 3.74 ERA, but his FIP was 3.46 and XFIP was 3.53, which is still a little high for if you're taking a pitcher in the top um, two rounds. But if you look at Zach Gallen's numbers, he had a 275 ERA, which looks great, but then you look at his XFIP 3.66 and XFIP 3.62, and his BABIP was 266, which is on the lower end. For the league average, it's right around 300 is what um, is expected, but his strikeout rate was 10.25 compared to Scherzer's, and Scherzer's done it longer. I know he's got that injury risk, but especially when we talk about the shortened season, you you want to rely on guys that have done it in the past and can be
be relied on. And I think Scherzer can be that. Now, if you're playing a longer-term dynasty, I can see where you you could go with Zach Gallen. But my initial thoughts is I feel Scherzer should be in there over Zach Gallen. What do you think, Matt? No, I I agree with you. And this is going to be one of my, my biases, right? Um, point blank, you're the most competition in, in the, the biggest fantasy league I play in. And you've had Max Scherzer as your rock for a number of years. Now, your former rock was Adam Wainwright. And there are a lot of comparisons that I see between what Scherzer is doing and what Wainwright did. Wainwright ran into that pretty significant injury right at the end of his reign for you and fall, fell off pretty hard, right? He pitched, what was it, three more years after dominance, would you say three or four years? Yeah, but I think I think the Adam Wainwright wasn't. Didn't he have an Achilles tear, and that really messes? That was like the final. It. That was like the final injury that he had. Point being, I guess, is that I'm trying to equate age. I think that Scherzer's age is finally going to catch up with him. And how old is he? 33, 34? I want to say he's 35, 36. Take a look so that we can kind of add that for the listener. But the difference is too in the platforms that we're using. I'm using Baseball Savant, and I'm using Statcast to kind of gauge what Gallon did. Gallon had a, wrong. He's uh, sorry to cut you off, but he's 36 years old and he'll be turning 37 yes. on July 27th. Exactly so, my concern. I, okay, I was a little off. I was under the impression he was 34, so maybe that does raise a little, little bit of concern. However, um, continue with your thoughts. I I threw you off there. That's oh, okay. I I'm looking at Statcast Statcast numbers on Baseball Savant. Very different from what you're pulling up on Fangraph, and they're very different ways to evaluate a player, right? I'm looking at ex-WOBA, ex-slug, um, overall WOBA, and then um, XBA, all of which Zach Gallen has uh, the advantage on over Scherzer. His K percentage was 31.2, uh, being Scherzer's, and Zach Gallen's was 28.2. Scherzer had a bit, little bit better of a, a walk percentage at 7.8 compared to Gallen's 8.6. But we're talking marginal numbers here. I think Zach Gallen being a young player, I think Zach Gallen being a heavy changeup, heavy cutter. Zach Gallen threw 25.7% of his pitches last year as cutters. And with a, a heavier ball, with a ball with the seams a little bit more adjusted, I like Zach Gallen to even drop that ERA a little bit lower. You already have the humidor in the Arizona ball club's uh, ballpark. So, again, taking a risk. I could be wrong, you know, and, and for your team's sake, it's, it would be a great thing if I were wrong. And again, from a bias perspective, I own Zach Gallen. So, of course, I'm going to want him to play a little bit more. But breaking down those raw numbers, I'm just feeling like Scherzer may be a little bit too old this year. And I guess we'll have to play the wait-and-see approach. Yeah. Um, is there any other things you want to talk about on the top 25? Otherwise, I think this is a great way to segue into the Nationals and the NL East. Yeah, I, uh, I want to add one thing. I have one shock of the year. Um, I think Aaron Judge could possibly regain MVP form, of course, if he stays healthy. I am not expecting Aaron Judge to stay healthy, but if he does, I am expecting a, another monster season. But yeah, why don't you carry us into the Nationals and the NL East? Yeah, so we just mentioned how um, they have Max Scherzer. Um, let's go right into the rest of their lineup. They got Patrick Corbin, who had a horrible year last year. They got Steven Strasburg coming from Carpal Tunnel. They got John Lester. And then it looks like that fifth spot is fifth uh, pitching spot is going to be a competition between Eric Feedy and Joe Ross. Then we'll go to their hitting. Looks like at first base, they're going to have Josh Bell, 
Second, they're going to have Starling Castro, short Trey Turner, third base Carter Key Boom, and then in the outfield you're going to have Schwarber, Soto, and Robles. Um, off, just looking at their their hitting, it doesn't look anything exciting. You got Trey Turner and Juan Soto, but after that, it's it looks pretty barren wasteland. You got Josh Bell, who maybe can return to form in 2019. However, that was part of the juice ball, and that's where all of his home runs came. And then if you remember at the end of 2019, he just kind of fell off a cliff and didn't really do much in 2020. Um, yeah, I, Starling Castro doesn't strike me as anybody worth valuing. Yeah. Kyle they, Schwarber, yeah. They got Josh Bell for a bag of bats. So if there's any way he can regain form, I think he drastically changes this lineup. But this was another reason why Ed Scherzer rated a little bit lower, right? This NL East is a powerhouse. I mean, these guys should be at each other's throats all season. And yeah, this is a pretty nice pitching staff if you can get Patrick Corbin back on track. But dude, carpal tunnel's no joke. You know, that is a serious surgery. And I really want to see how Strasburg comes back. I bet you he's innings capped either way. And John Lester actually isn't a terrible four. Innings eater, but... I expect, I think, the Nationals to finish maybe third in this division. Um, I, I can't have too high expectations. We'll see if Victor Robles can finally play to his potential. But in a points head-to-head league, who cares? Stolen bases don't mean much to us, right? No, and I do think, like we said, with their offense being a little bit lower, Brad Hand being their closer, they might have games that are a lot closer than they used to, so mm-hmm. that might be somebody worth rostering um, in your leagues. I was lo- really looking forward to Tanner Rainey or uh, Daniel Hudson being uh, kind of a sleeper um, closer, but obviously that is off the table now. Um, all right, Matt, I'm going to push it over to you, and I'll let you choose the next team we want to talk about in the NL East. All right, we are going to go with a little Las Vegas native, Bryce Harper, Philadelphia Phillies. I'm excited this year. Um, I'm a huge Harper fan for the listener. I, I had Harper and Trout to start our actual Dynasty League before it turned into a Dynasty League. And Harper's kind of just been my boy ever since. Uh, did trade him away. You know, I, I did that cardinal sin of trading your favorite pr- player away. But, for $20. Yeah, well, I bought him back for $20. For those of you that like colluding, I am really good at it. Um, <laughs> and rules are in place now to prevent me from colluding. But yeah, to break it down, Andrew McCutcheon, Alec Baum. Alec Baum's the name I think that really stands out. He could be the player that cements himself as Bryce Harper's, you know, big number two guy. JT Romuto's fantastic, but he he's never gonna be kind of that Robin figure to Batman. He's a great catcher, puts up good numbers. I think Alec Baum could turn into a thirty-five home run kid in a couple of years here. Moving along, Reese Hoskins, can he rebound? Can he play well? Rio Muto, obviously. Didi Gregorius loves that stadium, much like he loved Yankee Stadium. Gene Segura, a little bit of a letdown in that Philadelphia uh, stadium as well. And then uh, Roman Quinn, very surprised to see Roman Quinn out there. I would not uh, be surprised to see Mickey Montauk and some of these other outfielders maybe push him for a job in spring training. Rotation-wise, Aaron Nola, we spoke on him earlier. Zach Wheeler, uh, this is a guy on our friend Reed's team, so... Uh, I hope he sprains an ankle and then sprains his other ankle and then sprains his rotator cuff. And Oh, that's me. <laughs> there's Zach Eflin, Vincent Velasquez, and Spencer Howard, your boy, looking to see if Spencer Howard can have a good year. What are your thoughts on Howard coming into 2021? 
yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he's got the prospect pedigree, one of the top in their system. Um, he looked good off the bat, and I was really excited. And then he kind of had troubles with his command, and then his velocity wasn't where they were expecting it. And then it comes out that he had a shoulder strain. So I'm curious to see what happens in spring training if his velocity is back up and if if he's going to get back to looking like a top-tier prospect or if he's going to be the next person with injury concerns and next thing you know he's on the free agency wire so he will be somebody that I will be monitoring and I'm not going to lie I'm kind I do have him on my team and he's kind of on that borderline depending on what he does in spring training I might keep him I might not we'll see what happens I might nice you know go prospect hunting next for the for the draft so We'll see. Um, I do want to say with the Roman Quinn thing, um, it doesn't look like Scott Kingery is projected in their starting lineup. So I wouldn't be surprised if these projections that we're looking at, I'm going off Roto Champ right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they might have it wrong and Kingery has some sort of outfield spot or some sort of super utility role. Good call. Yeah, very good call. Um, But let's segue. I want to talk about the Miami Marlins next. So I know we talked about them on one of our previous podcasts, but we'll go over the projected starters. Right now they got Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Sixo Sanchez, and Trevor Rogers for the starting pitchers. For their lineup, they got outfielder Corey Dickerson, Starling Marte, first base Jesus Aguilar, the other outfielder Adam Duvall, Brian Anderson for third base, Miguel Rojas at short, John Birdie at second base, and Jorge Alfaro at catcher. Just looking at this hitting doesn't seem all that enticing. However, I am interested to see if Jorge Alfaro can take that next step. I know I was on him two years ago. I think you were on him last year, if I remember correctly, Matt. Or do I yeah. have it wrong? Was I on him three years ago and you were on him two years ago? We, we, both, pros- yeah, we both have been Jorge Alfaro fans, and I think he's bitten with the same issue a lot of these guys are. It's a big park, right? Yeah, and just his strikeout numbers are just horrendous, and it just drives down his average. He's got tons of power. Just mm-hmm. can he connect? Yep. Um, and that I know we're not talking about this at all, but it reminds me of Sam Huff, the prospect for the Rangers. Good call, good call. I'm I'm really worried about Sam Huff over there. We can talk about him on another podcast, but um what intrigues me with this is their prospect. They got Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm Chisholm? Chisholm Hall? Yeah, I always get a you got it. Jazz Chisholm, you got it. Jazz Chisholm. And um I'm very excited to see if they can maybe work their way in and get a starting role. We've talked about him again, Edward Cabrera. I think he's going to win a starting pitcher spot um, at some point this season. Um, and then they, in the top uh, prospect, Max Meyer, I don't think he's coming up, but for you Dynasty listeners out there, that is a name to keep an eye on. Um, he could be up in 2022 or 2023. Um, Matt, what are your thoughts on this? I actually really like this team. I like Adam Duvall. I like Sterling uh, Sterling Marte. You know, Adam Duvall has been that guy that has floated around the league since he was with Cincinnati that 
can hit big time home runs but can't get any playing time, right? And how I think it was two weeks in a row last year. He put up like three or four home run weeks. Maybe it was even five or six home run weeks, and he absolutely propelled people to weekly victories. I'm just happy that Duvall's going to get a full season. And again, as you said, these these projections might be a little bit off. I do not think John Birdie starts at second base. I think Hassan Diaz is a guaranteed start there. If not within the first two weeks, he, Birdie is benched. Uh, and then Jazz Chisholm, yeah, very toolsy player. Doesn't have a whole lot of power. Doesn't have a ton of speed. Kind of do everything, but kind of do everything average. So we'll see maybe as he develops, does he start to have some skills that really showcase himself from the fantasy perspective? Uh, Miguel Rojas, love him. Just saw that he started mentoring uh, Victor Mesa Jr. in the, down there in Miami. Good for him. He kind of wants to do that yearly. He wants to take someone under his wing and really develop them. It's a bit of a shame that he couldn't develop uh, either Monte Harris or who was the other guy we gave them, Lewis Brinson. They could have used them developing. Yeah. Um, trash bags, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I like this team. I, I like the underdog. So maybe Jeter can get these guys 80 wins. You know, we'll see. And the and the other prospect I want to talk about is J.J. Blade, college bat. Um, or no, was he high school? College. He was college. Okay. Yeah. So I don't know if he'll come up or not. I know he's got some progress he needs to make in the minors. I don't know what happened at the alternative training site, but, but he's an interesting name. I know he's got um, some power, but um, I think he lacks speed as well. So he's coming out of Vanderbilt. So he should be pretty polished, right? We'll see how long they hold him down. Yeah. I think he's one of those high floor, mm-hmm. uh, low ceiling type guys. So we'll, we'll see. Um, I think they're in no rush to bring up any of their prospects, which is frustrating from a dynasty standpoint. I think Bladé is a really, really good comp to uh, Corey Dickerson, right? Okay. Uh, you know, 280-ish on a good year, 20 to 25 home runs. Just a good ball player. You draft a guy like that to have a good clubhouse presence, and by the time he comes up, this will be this will be a good team. You know, Sixto will have probably a year and a half under his belt and kind of see where they go. Yeah, I personally don't think we see Blade this this season, but next yep. season for sure. Yeah, I agree. All right, I'm going to volley it back over to you. You pick the next team. I'm going to let you do the Braves since you have Ronald Acuna, since he's your <laughs> he's your love child. I won't take that from you. <laughs> um, I will take your other favorite player, and that will be the Mets, and that would be Pete Alonso. Oh, no, Dominic Smith. He's my new favorite. Once let's, I trade, let's do a trade, trade Dominic him. Smith for Pete Alonso right now, except... For those of you that don't know, Matt has Dominic Smith on his <laughs> dynasty team, and I have Pete Alonso, so we're having a little fun with this. Uh, this but is, uh, go ahead. <laughs> this is going to be an interesting season for the Mets. So this is one of the first seasons in a while that they've had pretty high expectations. They have one of the best pitchers in the league coming back from Tommy John in Cindergaard, uh, but right now the rotation shakes down is Jacob deGrom, best pitcher in the game. Definitely not the best fantasy pitcher because he doesn't get those wins that we so desperately love. Carlos Carrasco, big-time uh, fan of Carlos Carrasco coming back after he had leukemia. What an awesome story. Marcus Stroman, not a fan of the guy. Uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of talk for a little bit of underperformance. Right now, and this is news this week, they got Tejon Walker, and I've been saying it wrong for seven years. It's actually Taiwan Walker, so Taiwan, I'm very sorry. Um, David Peterson at five, Joey Lucchese at six. So they're going to have some competition for that rotation. We'll have Thor probably slide right back into that two or three spot once he comes back. 
man Bauer would have looked nice in this rotation, but uh, yeah, we were wrong. You can buy a lot for forty million dollars. <laughs> yes, yes, you can. Uh, let's see here. Breaking down the the lineup, uh, Brandon Nimmo. Maybe he can come back from that neck and that spine injury. Probably perform, you know, a little bit above average. This is, I think, a year and a half now since since he's had that fusion. Uh, Jeff McNeil coming in at two. Playing second base, third base, outfield. Francisco Lindor, the big draw-in. They've got him projected at 30 home runs, 86 RBIs. I think he comes a little bit short of that, but obviously Lindor's a big energy guy. Love him. Yeah, I think they're I think they're high on him for home runs, and I think they're low on him for RBIs. I, I think he's going to have some more RBIs than they're projecting. I think he can get closer to 100, but we'll see. Yeah, I think you're right. I think 25 home runs, 100 and maybe 10 RBIs, right? He's going to really draw some of those guys in. Last guy I'm going to touch on before I let you finish this off, Dominic Smith. I have absolutely no idea what to expect from him this year. Really, really enjoyed watching him break out last year. I, I like him as a person. I like him as a player. Um, you know, he's going to have kind of that outfield first base slot. They're going to have to move him around a little bit. That never really helps a young player never really know with, on a day-to-day basis where they're going and where they're going to be. But I want to see Dominic Smith go out there and hit 25 to 30 home runs, hit above 265. That's kind of my fear that his average will really drop. Who else in this lineup intrigues you, Richie? Um, it'll be interesting to see what they do with J.D. Davis and Dominic Smith. I know they have J.D. Davis at third right now and Dominic Smith in left, I believe. However, there are rumors right now that they're trying to acquire Chris Bryant. I don't know if that's actually going to go through or not. Uh, I think they are defensive liability. I was all on J.D. Davis last year, and he disappointed me. Um, so I, part have of me wants to give bench? him another shot. Um, this is insane. They have Albert Armora, right? Unbelievable glove. Jonathan VR, Kevin Pillar. I mean, they have they have a lot of great talent on this bench kind of just hanging out. Yeah, so we we shall see what what comes of it, but um, I don't I don't anticipate the Mets are done making moves before the season starts. So I know we're talking about it now, but I could totally see them making some sort of move to get a third baseman or sure. acquire something and move Jeff McNeil or something. I have no idea. Um, Why don't you go ahead and toss it to the Braves? Let's see what they got. All right, let's go over to the Braves. All right, so at catcher, they got Travis Thurnown. Was a fantasy surprise last year. First base, they got Freddie Freeman, top first baseman, hands down. No questions asked. Ozzy Albies, um, I think he'll be a good contact hitter. I think his power is completely gone with the rumors of the dead ball. I think he was... Uh, recipient of the the juice ball and that's where all his home runs came from so i only see him as maybe 10 15 home runs this year third base they got austin riley um it'll be interesting to see what happens with him my boy dansby swanson at short i think he'll be a 300 hitter don't think he's gonna hit for much power but you don't always need that at the shortstop position when it's so deep and then outfielders um they're gonna have ronald acuna Christian Pache, Marcelo Zuna. I mean, it's it's stacked. I mean, I don't see how this team doesn't go to the, the World Series this year, especially with their their starting pitchers and their, their talent. They got Ian Anderson, who we've touched on before, Max Freed, Charlie Morton, 
Mike Soroka, and then either Drew Smiley or Kyle Wright. I think this starting pitcher staff has what it takes along with the hitting to to make it there. Um, I think the interesting thing is Charlie Morton here, and if he can bounce back, he had kind of a rough year last year. So was it a, a victim of bad numbers and he just got unlucky, or is he kind of starting to, to fall off here? What are your thoughts, Matt? Yeah, I I like the idea of this Braves team. I think it's going to be extremely hard for anybody in this league to overcome the Dodgers or the Padres. But if there's a team that can do it, it's definitely the Braves. These young guys have extreme and immense talent. Max Fried, Soroka, you know, those two guys I think could be really leading the way for this league as you see things moving forward over the next three or four years. So I'm really excited. And as you said, Charlie Morton's no joke. If he can kind of rebound and come back, they've got a great number three, uh, if maybe number four, if, if Ian Anderson pitches up to the level I expect him to. Kyle Wright's another great name. He was a big guy two years ago when we drafted in California, my, my house in Los Angeles, where you know we really wanted him, and Jackson ended up with him. And this was a guy that was expected to be what Soroka is and Ian Anderson is and Fareed is. You know, he has fallen off with some of those expectations. So can he come back? But yeah, overall, this is my favorite team in the division. The Mets have done a lot. But without getting Bauer, I just don't think they have what it takes to overcome the, this Braves team. I look for Marcelo Zuna to have another fantastic season. And the, the other thing I want to point out, too, is they just don't have that stud closer or bullpen. They got... Chris Martin, A.J. Minter, and Will Smith. Yeah, those are all average, maybe above average guys, but none of them are your Raldis Chapmans or your Brad Hands or your Kirby Yates that are those studs, Josh Hader, that are going to have that strikeout potential that just, you know, I was just the gonna, whole inning. I was just going to say, what a great team for the Brewers to trade Hader to, right? Maybe you right. grab, um, I don't think they'd give up an Ian Anderson, but maybe you get... Drew Waters. Drew yeah. Waters, and maybe you can get Kyle Wright if Kyle Wright comes out and plays well. I think that'd be really a nice addition to the Milwaukee team, a good outfielder, you know, a, a three or four tier pitcher. Um, and Hader would look great on this team because uh, I really I don't think the Brewers compete this year. So we'll see. Obviously, all conjuncture and hearsay. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Well, that concludes the NL East. Um, before we finish up, let's get into some our preseason trading. Now, before we get into this, I want to preface what we're going to be talking about here um, in our dynasty league what we have for the first time ever is we're going to allow preseason trading and that's because last year with COVID and everything as commissioner I felt it was right to not extend anyone's contract years or their salary as I mentioned before if you have a player for one year the next year they cost six dollars so this year um, I put a pause on that so you get to keep the same player for the same cost. The only issue with that is is now pretty much anybody can bring back their whole team as long as they stayed under that $300 salary cap. So um, to make things interesting and since there's not a draft, um, we opened up preseason trading which will be from March 7th to the 21st, so two weeks of trading. So um, I'll let Matt take it off on kind of what his thoughts are on this preseason trading and whether you guys should think about doing it in your dynasty leagues and kind of your general approach or feel um, philosophies on trading. Just whatever you want to talk about, Matt, you take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to start off by saying my belief in a dynasty league is that if a team is willing to do something, 
you should allow it as a league. And obviously that comes from the nature of this team is going to be coming back for the years to come. We had some issues in our league where you know we weren't always sure if teams would be coming back for the following season, so we implemented a pay structure where obviously you were putting a little bit extra money down for down the road, so you were incentivized to stay, which I think we are starting off this year, so we're going to start to see some of that play its effects. But for the most part in our league, we've had a respect nature of, you know, if a trade's made, it's got to kind of go through the league's funnel. We used to have vetoes. We took away vetoes. But after we removed vetoes, we really didn't see much issue with it. And now that we're going to be doing preseason trading, I think there's a lot of excitement in the league. You know, techs are flying around. People are talking about different ideas. You have some teams that are over that $300 threshold that we have our budget set at, and they are definitely looking to shed some of those players that they would otherwise lose. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to still have value from other teams, and those teams are going to have to look at their players and say, well, could I get them cheaper in the draft? So I think offseason trading is a fantastic option. Um, currently, as it sits going into this 2021 season, I don't have any relief pitchers. In our league, we roster two and start two. I also do not have a catcher anymore. So I am going to be looking to trade, kind of get some of my pitching depth off my team, maybe grab a couple guys that might be useful. But I wanted to uh, bring up a trade actually that we had, I actually had in conversation today and kind of just get your thoughts on it, Richie, um, and kind of really get the value and express the value of this position to the listener. I'm looking to trade Jose Barrios, which my expectations with the new ball. I think Jose can fall within the top 25. Uh, I think he's going to have a lower walk rate. I think his ERA will be lower. And again, playing for, if not the best team, the second best team in that division. And I would have, I'm asking, my asking price is two closers. I'm asking for Araldis Chapman, who plays obviously on the Yankees. And then I'm also asking for Trevor Rosenthal, who is just signed by the Athletics. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's a fair deal? And what do you think the value in our league of the starting pitcher in comparison to the relief pitcher is? Um, you just threw a lot of questions at me, but first and foremost, um, if, if I'm you and I have Jose Barrios and I'm offered a role as Chapman and Trevor Rosenthal, I'm accepting that hands down, no questions asked. I think a fair trade would be one for one, particularly probably for Araldis Chapman. Um, however, with the way our league is set up with being points league, pitchers are starting pitchers are elevated way higher than they normally would be. Um, so Jose Barrios probably would carry a little more weight. My only concern with him is, you know, his strikeout rate is only right around nine and he's, he has a high walk per nine. Um, his ERA over the past three years was four, 3.69 and 3.84. So if you can sell him as a top 25 starting pitcher and they don't do a little research looking into the numbers, I think you could probably try to swing Trevor Rosenthal in there as well, but you might have to throw an extra piece in there. Um, I do think, depending, I haven't looked at your team in a while, but depending on your pitching, starting pitching staff and how deep it is, you could probably sacrifice Jose Barrios for a relief pitcher, considering there's not many Sparps, which are starting pitchers as relief pitchers this year because of the roster eligibilities. Um, based on ESPN, I don't think there's going to be any Sparps this year, which is kind of a loophole for our Correct. league. Correct, yeah. The conversation ended today with uh, Debbie Garcia possibly tossed in that in that trade. I think that kind of evens it out a little bit more. Um, 
my my argument in the trade was, you know, I'm I'm giving up two years of team control with Jose Barrios and four years of team control with Debbie Garcia for essentially one year renters, right? I mean, most teams in our league do not keep closers. It, it's not really beneficial because these guys get drafted from about fifteen to twenty dollars. And they're just going to get redrafted for $15 to $20. So occurring that $5 keeper price doesn't do you much benefit. But I agree with you. Barrios for Chapman in a standard league straight up is a very comparable trade. The dynasty aspect, and then on top of that, having pitching be such a more valued position being the starters, kind of throws this trade for a loop. But that's the fun thing. Our, our offseason trading doesn't open until March 7th. We can talk all day about this. If someone comes in over my head and offers a better deal, good for them. You know, like I, yeah. I can't stop that. Um, I do though. I, I would put stake on this. I think Jose Barrios has a very good season. I for whatever reason I'm sold that the age 26 season is a, is a pop season for a lot of these guys. Jose Barrios will be 26 years old this year. I know his K per nine is only at not at nine per um, per game, but. I still think Jose's got something that you know we haven't really seen the full potential. What are your What are your thoughts elsewhere on offseason trading, Richie? Yeah, so for me, um, my biggest thing for my team is I have Nolan Arenado as my franchise player for fifty dollars. Um, I also have Cabrian Hayes for a dollar, I believe. Yep. Um, so I, I do like the prospect of having Cabrian Hayes as the the budding starter replace Nolan Arenado I don't think he's worth fifty dollars so I'll see what I can do if I can possibly move Arenado for a different third baseman who's a little more proven maybe a top ten top fifteen type guy to at least be uh, a high ceiling option because if Cabrian Hayes isn't the real deal and now I'm stuck with not only a hole somewhere else but now I have a hole at third base. Um, otherwise if I can't acquire a third base, I might just, you know what, say eat it and pay for Arenado for $50 because I can bring back my whole team and still have, I think $4 and all I have to do to fill the draft right now is find a replacement second baseman until Tommy even gains his second base eligibility a week or two into the season. And then as Matt said before, I also need to fill a relief pitcher spot because I was using Sparps last year. I do have Liam Hendricks, which is a good thing for me. So I at least have one relief pitcher spot filled. So um, I think what I'm going to do, regardless of what I do in this offseason, is probably just play uh, reliever roulette and just wait until I hit one, just keep playing the waiver wire and go with those committees is most likely what I'm going to do. So I personally don't see myself making too much moves. Um would you take Any thoughts on that, Matt? Would you take Rafael Devers for Nolan Arenado straight up right now? Oh, putting me on the spot. Uh, what is Devers' um, price point? I want to say he's contract. at. So he's in the first year of his contract, I think. Either he's in his first or his second, so he has either three or four years left. And I want to say he's either at twelve or seventeen dollars. Okay. Maybe maybe we can talk after this podcast. I don't want to hold up our <laughs> listeners. But uh, is there anything else you want to talk about before we say bye to the, our listeners? No, I think today was fantastic. We had a lot of fun, and uh, we're getting closer to baseball, man. You know, pitchers and catchers, I think, got to camp this week. Uh, it's around the corner. Can't be happier. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. See you later. Bye, guys.